Support for this show is brought to you by Instill. Our friends at Instill really understand what it means to build and manage relationships in a holistic and human-first way. The platform's advanced UX design and real-time analytics, smooth donor management to make it easy for you to connect every supporter to the impact of your work. To learn more, head on over to www.instill.io backslash Mallory. If you are not seeing social posts, emails, ads that are not performing, you're not testing enough. You're not trying enough. You're not innovating enough. And so if you do have them, just know that, hey, you're on the right track. You should feel good about that and learn from it. When you can turn something that didn't work into a key learning, then it's valuable. Hey. My name is Mallory, and I'm obsessed with helping leaders in the nonprofit space raise money and run their organizations differently. What the Fundraising is a space for real and raw conversations to both challenge and inspire you. Not too long ago, I was in your shoes, uncomfortable with fundraising and unsure of my place in this sector. It wasn't until I started to listen to other experts outside of the fundraising space that I was able to shift my mindset and ultimately shift the way I show up as a leader. This podcast is my way of blending professional and personal development so we as a collective inside the nonprofit sector can feel good about the work we are doing. Join me every week as I interview some of the brightest minds in the personal and professional development space to help you fundamentally change the way you lead and fundraise. I hope you enjoy this episode. So let's dive in. Hello. Welcome, everyone. I am so thrilled to be here today with Cameron Bartlett. Cameron, welcome to What the Fundraising. Thanks so much, Mallory. It's so great to be here. So we are going to be talking all about the habits of an effective marketer today, but I'd love for you to just start and share a little bit about who you are, what brings you to our conversation today, and then we'll jump right in. Yeah, happy to, Mallory. Thanks. Yeah, I uh, I started my career working in the music industry. It's what brought me to Nashville originally, which was fun. I got to work with um, Sony and other record labels, and then uh, I moved on to working uh as a consultant and with marketing agencies, just those fun, like you've got 20 clients at a time. There's just like, they've got ping pong tables there because they want you to never leave. You know, it's just like, you're working like crazy. <laughs> and I thought, hey, could we use these same strategies that are helping these companies make a lot of money for nonprofits to make a difference? And so I had my first opportunity to work with a nonprofit years ago with one called International Justice Mission or IJM. Um, I was their social media manager there, and we just did some wonderful uh, campaigns, some, uh, some that were just uh, so meaningful to me and like life-changing, and uh, some even went on to win awards and so forth. But I found some things there that worked really well. Um, again, kind of combining those strategies between for-profit and non-profit, combining you know, these like high-growth strategies and building out customer journeys um, with the masterful storytelling that you can do at a non-profit and the, uh, the, just the wonderful communities you can build around a cause. Um, and so I took that and went with to other organizations like uh, Compassion International and World Vision Cure and even cool, fun, innovative nonprofits like New Story, who's 3D printing homes and building communities and so forth. And it's been really fun working, uh, doing digital marketing and fundraising for nonprofits over the years. Amazing. Okay. So tell me, 
What are, so I got so excited because I saw that you were speaking at the nonprofit marketing summit and you were talking about some of the habits of successful marketers. So I'm, I am obsessed with habit and behavior design (laughs) in general. And I also really believe that the intersection of marketing and fundraising is so much more nebulous than we often (laughs) pretend. Um, and so I'm so curious. Why don't we just jump right in and will you tell us what are like the top three or top five habits of successful nonprofit marketers that we should all be paying attention to. Yeah, absolutely. So so a couple of them that come to mind for sure at first. One is all about experimenting, right? Like looking at details uh, that no one else is paying attention to. You know, I saw this early on, especially working in social media originally, right? Was if you could look at the details, you know, for instance, like the creative elements and anatomy of a social post. You know, you have a caption, you have a photo, you know, or a video or, you know, things like that, but you have so much more. I started to kind of dig in. Well, what size photo was it? Uh, was it a wide photo? Was it a tall photo? Was it square? If it was a video, was it under 30 seconds? Was it a short form video for TikTok and reels and shorts? Or is it uh, a long form video that's going to be two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, right? Like, um, but then also it was not just the caption, but how long, how many characters are in there? What words are you using a lot of? Are, how many emojis are you using emojis at all? Like what words came up a lot that normally led to us getting more engagement? And so I would kind of dissect all those little different things. What's in the photo? What colors stood out? What emotions did we evoke? And, and I would just have spreadsheets <laughs> of these things, uh, that helped us help understand how we built a post and in, IJM is a really good example, right? Like in the first year, we increased our engagement by five times just by looking at things like that, right? Uh, and then even more in the in the next year. I think the last week I uh, when I left IJM, we were like the num- we were the most engaged cause or nonprofit on Facebook that week, which was really really exciting. And you can start this really simply, right? Like, yeah, I had spreadsheets with tons of cells and all these things and kind of f- figuring these things out to determine uh, the averages of each of those different components. But you could simply scroll through your Instagram feed and look at which posts get the most engagement or get the most comments or shares on a Facebook post or a TikTok video or something and start to kind of piece together, okay, well, was this a longer video or a shorter one? Um, What did we talk about? What was the topic? What was the tone? You know, like what things kind of, you start to kind of like be able to piece just by scrolling through and determining, okay, well, that one didn't hit as well. It was like just a, a normal static quote. But when we used these types of backgrounds in the photos, it worked a lot better. So I would say scroll through your social, scroll through the same thing works for subject lines and emails and formatting of, of uh, landing pages and all of this stuff, right? Like continually test and, and, and determine what works best. I think another, another really quick one that uh, I didn't get to share at the conference, but I was thinking about. And it's a little different than just like your normal marketing metrics. It's just time blocking. Like I have found, and I don't know if like other like neurodivergence out there, other people who just can't seem to like get all the details together and have the same kind of rhythms and routines, having times that are blocked off are really key. And so what I mean by that too is actually not just like, okay, great. Well, so every morning for an hour, I'll, you know, write content or something like that. It's great to have even things planned out throughout the week. Like, Hey, this is the time because we don't really have a ton of time to work on SEO. Let's say, well, I'm going to do Thursdays at 10. That's my SEO hour. 
what that does is it doesn't just give you the time to work on it, but it frees you up the rest of the week from ever having to think about it. You're like, okay, well, man, we should, here's what every nonprofit marketer who's doing a thousand jobs in one is thinking, well, I just need, I would need more time. You know, like I'm already doing so much. How do I do more? Instead, it kind of gives you that license to say like, yeah, yeah, no, I have something planned and maybe it's one day a month. But you know, that's when you're doing it. So when someone says, Hey, could you work on this thing? And you say, Oh yeah, that's, that's for, you know, the 15th at two, you know, that's when I'm doing it. And you can give yourself that same kind of break and think like, I'll save that email. I'll save that task. I'll save all of those things for that one hour or 30 minute block of time. And you don't have to think of it outside of that. And that's really, really helpful because you know, you can count on that time block you have coming up. Um, so those are, let's pause there for a second, because I think there's a lot that was in those two things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I have a few questions, um, which I love. I want to go back to the first one, because I'm curious. I love the piece around, you know, thinking about the metrics and the data. I find that to be really fun, too, to sort of dig in and try to figure out what happened and why and what were the different factors. And I'm curious, though, obviously, you know, I feel like there can be a lot of resistance sometimes in nonprofits and not always like fully recognize resistance, right? It's just one of those things that gets deprioritized. But when I dig in from a coaching standpoint, what ultimately sometimes comes out is some fear, some discomfort around looking at those numbers and what they mean. And then the stories that we create about ourselves and our organizations because of that. Do you, is that something you've seen? What are some strategies you've seen organizations use to kind of start to dip their toe in or feel safe doing that reflection without it becoming something that, I don't know, gives them ammo to beat themselves up about? Oh, that's a great one. So the most successful organizations will not have all really like, like all bangers, all top hits, right? Like they're not, all of their posts are not amazing. They actually take a lot of risks and they have some really bad stuff mixed in there. So like most people think that the trajectory to success is just like a hockey stick, right? It's just shooting straight up and you're just continually getting better. Um, but actually, if you want consistency, you'll nor you will become stale. Consistency means that you're just going to stay right, you know, at a level. Um, if you want success, you're going to have posts that didn't reach anybody and then posts that reached a ton of people, right? And yeah, of course, along the way, you're building over time, but it is not any kind of straight line in any direction. It is constant ups and downs. And so like, if you are not seeing social posts, emails, ads that are not performing, you're not testing enough, you're not trying enough, you're not innovating enough. And so if you do have them, just know that, hey, you're on the right track, you should feel good about that and learn from it. When you can turn something that didn't work into a key learning, then it's valuable, right? Again, so you get to reframe it and say, okay, well, we did try this and it didn't work. I've, I've even seen some times where like, when we had posts at IJM say that like, you know, I would have one that reached one day, I, I would put out a post and we consistently be getting, reaching tens of thousands of people, you know, and then I would see one that reached like 200 or 40 or something. And I'm like, oh, I'm a failure. And then I would, but instead I would learn from it. And then next week we'd have one that reached 200,000 people or 2 million people, right? So like it was, it's really about learning from it and being able to say, Hey, look, these are actually just key data points that help me figure out what works. And that post didn't work. I think the reasoning why was we posted it at the wrong time. We posted, we did, uh, we tried to have too many 
things that we requested in it. There were too many calls to action in that email. That landing page didn't have a really clear section for uh, people to fill in their information and click a button. It was too much to read. Like you just need to be able to look at those things and say, okay, let's try, let's, let's learn how, on how to improve and optimize, but also you need to have that kind of like spirit of testing and allow a test to like float out and fail or succeed and know that like either way, that is valuable learning for you to try again next time. Hi, it's Mallory. I'm so excited to be partnering with my friends at Instill to bring you these episodes all about how we truly enable fundraisers, which include everything from building effective habits to real relationships in order to raise more for your organization. There is so much wisdom in this series, but we know we can't cover everything here. That's why I'm launching a mini course on habit and behavior design for fundraisers specifically. And here's the best part. Instill is sponsoring this course for a year, which means it's 100% free to you. The mini course is launching live on January 25th. To sign up and come live or get the recording, go to MalloryErickson.com backslash habits to sign up. Okay. What is it about marketing? Okay. There's something about marketing that I feel like personally, the stakes don't feel as high around testing as like fundraising. And I'm just (laughs) curious, but then of course, like that, the testing that you do in marketing is is so critical to be applying to your fundraising as well. Like not every fundraising email is going to hit it out of the park. Like we are constantly learning about our donors and, you know, we're constantly like the context around which our messaging is hitting is constantly changing. And we don't, we can't predict that necessarily what's happening in the world around us or what that person is experiencing in their life. Are there any habits that you've seen internally on teams that have been really helpful to embrace that like testing attitude? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great one. The problem with testing often is it feels like it's a shot in the dark. And if that's how you're presenting it to your leaders and to your teams, like it's going to be hard for people to get behind it. So it's testing is not just about like whims or just like, I don't know, let's try it. It's about framing things based on what you have learned, what you've studied from other people and what they, what, you know, what other nonprofits have done. And then you build a case together and you get buy-in from others, right? You basically like, sure, sometimes this has to happen quickly because you're like, hey, there's a trend. We want to jump on it today, but there should always be a proposal put together in a sense, right? Like, so whether it's something that you're like, hey, here's a whole campaign, here's a, a, a micro tactic or strategy down to like, hey, we want to jump on this trend. There should still be, hey, here's what we're thinking. Here are the risks and here are the benefits. Are the benefits worth enough of enough for us to try these risks? And if your boss and your, you know, colleagues like buy into that with you, then you, then it's fine. Like you, you know, you can ride that out together knowing that they were ready for the, for the results of the failure for the potential of that success. And maybe it's an 80, you know, uh, 20 split between what would be success and what would be and the 80% failure on some of those. And sometimes it's the other way around and it's most likely we're going to succeed here, but there's a chance we don't. And we just want you to be aware of like the whole frame of what we're buying into. And then, and then everyone's like in for this, this, uh, like this lottery ticket together and you've all purchased it together. And 
you know what it, what it's uh, you know what the the chances of success look like, and it's worth that purchase price of the potential risks. Okay. All right. I love that. Now I want to go to the second tip that you gave, which I really appreciate what you said. And I don't know how open you are to talking about this. I talk about my ADHD all the time. You mentioned, you know, I don't know if this is true for other neurodivergent folks, but context switching is obviously something I think, you know, I've had so many people say to me, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was really young. It's something I've dealt with my whole life. But I know a lot of people in adulthood are getting, you know, diagnosed later in life. And a lot of people are questioning whether or not they have ADHD just because of the amount of stimuli that are around us. And, And so they're saying, you know, I've had a lot of people come to me and say, I don't know if I actually have ADHD, but I experience a lot of the things that you talk about um, with your neurodivergence. And so this piece around context switching, I feel like is like an epidemic for everyone because we're just constantly getting inputs thrown our way and we're being notified by 5 billion different things at once. (laughs) And um, and it can be so hard to focus. And so I talk a lot about that in terms of fundraising. And I love that you were specific in terms of the bucketing of time that you were talking about. You weren't just like, this is your marketing time, but you were like, this is your time to be working on SEO around this very Mm -hmm. specific thing. Do you find that is the activity the the concreteness and the specificity of the activity, the piece that really makes that that time bucketing habit work? And how does that relate to the goals? Because I guess one yeah. of the things I see a lot when people talk about marketing and fun when you know fundraisers or nonprofits are talking about marketing is like the yeah. impressions versus donations versus likes versus engagement. And so yeah. and almost in those words, I watch them context switching, like their goals are switching and they're there. And so I'm just curious mm-hmm. how you how does that relate to this piece? Yeah, it's a great question. So how, how do you organize your time and then also and, and, and what's beneficial there, but also what other KPIs you use? I think those are great questions. Like, so as I'm looking at how I'm like, uh, getting specific about what I'm spending my time on, right? Like, I think one, it's, it's best to start with a few, a few things that you're doing and then do that every day, right? So like, for instance, well, let me just say this too, like having quick wins is really key, right? So like, Add things that are easy. Add things that you're already doing to your calendar. I um I went through a season that um I had really like I was I was very low. Had a lot of trouble getting things done, and so I started actually creating this checklist um of just things that I knew if I did them it would be better. If I got like ten minutes of sun right out of the gate in the morning and drank a certain amount of water and like took my vitamin B12 gummies and like just different things like that, right? Like it was simple little things up to like, if I spent some time journaling that day, if I did like, it's just on my personal life, having those quick wins meant that like I had a list of five things that grew to 10 things that grew to like, I think at the peak, it was almost 45 things that I was doing like almost every day. And I was just celebrating when I got those things done. And so what I would say is like, create that momentum and that snowball effect for yourself. And so you know, right out of the gate every morning, like what is, those are really valuable hours, but you might need to start by just getting like that simple thing in, Hey, I'm going to read one article each morning. Cause I really enjoy doing that. Or I'm going to listen to like a 10 minute marketing podcast because that's helpful for me. And I know that that's like a quick win I can check off. Right. But then 
then it will make it easier for you to get a 10 minute time block done and then a 30 minute time block done and then an hour time block. And again, the goal of this isn't to like add things to your plate. It's actually just to like take all of the things that are going through your head and, and you're like uh, circling around and all the requests that are coming in and allows you to organize them into a small, into its own space and to give yourself the freedom to say, no, no, I can't do that now, but don't worry. I have it planned for then. And so I will get it done. And so if someone says an urgent request and it's actually related to something that's not urgent, but they're just sending it in, you can say, Hey, no problem. I actually have this time planned for Thursday afternoon. And so does that work for you? If not, I'll can move it around. It, it can be moved around. So for instance, I, uh, I would time block my calendar, SEO hour, social hour, like, uh, you know, social listening hour, even like things like that. Right. Um, or spend time on ads, uh, writing ads or monitoring and optimizing ads. Right? Those might be different times. They might all be one and that's fine too. But what was cool about how I would add them to like my Google calendar is they were free periods. So someone could still book something on my calendar and all I would have to do is then just switch the things around. Um, I would do this manually. Um, but there are great tools like a friend from, uh, new story, uh, turned me on to it's called reclaim.ai. Uh, Christina Martinez, she's really wonderful. She, uh, it's a great tool that you should check out. I think there's another one that I get ads for all the time called Motion. Anyways, it'll do this for you. They yes. are targeting you see those me so all the big. <laughs> Everywhere I see them. Oh my goodness. But it's great because what that will do is it'll just, it'll automatically move things around as your schedule fills up. So you still have that list of things. It'll plan time for you to work on it. So that's just the idea of time blocking. It gives you, that uh that reason to say i don't have to do it now but i have something time planned for it frees you up to for for the urgent things or important things and again coming back to kpis and just like kind of wrapping it up with that um of course there are uh like revenue needs to be your main kpi for a lot of things but as i teach people about creating a donor journey that um, emphasizes other key moments throughout, like becoming, you know, joining your email list and becoming a lead that you can send through an email automation or um, becoming, uh, you know, making a first donation, you know, you know uh, and then trying to get someone to give another donation within a certain time frame that you've seen as most effective, things like that, right? Like, or giving people a non-monetary way to be involved, like signing a petition or uh, uh, helping you to spread uh, a campaign or starting a peer-to-peer fundraiser or things like that, right? Like any of those other actions are also really helpful. So I know that that just created more like things to track. <laughs> but for instance, I know that I don't want to send a call to action to give in every email. What I do want is to create a consistency where people open our emails so that when I ask every fourth email or eighth email or whatever I've tested and learned and figured out, that they're likely to open that email and then give, right? And so um, it's important that we also have email opens. On you know social, like it's important that we're reaching people organically without those asks so that we can run ads in separately to then convert people who have been engaging with us and have been involved in us. And we've been sending, spending time DMing or even, or like getting them to, to share a video. Now the ad is there to come and help them convert. So there are other things that help you promote that end revenue goal that are also really key. It's not just getting everyone to that building the recurring revenue program. It's getting people to make one donation too, right? So there are steps along that way that help you help set you up with other other things that are helpful and just simply moving someone further along in that journey um, as opposed to just getting from A to recurring donor for life, you know? 
Yeah. Okay. All right. So now I have to ask this question, which is, I have nonprofit fundraisers come to me all the time and say, okay, we hear that. We hear how valuable it is to have marketing and social media content and all these things. But how do I justify the investment in that over other things when I have, when I can't track the specificity Mm -hmm. of the impact the same way that I can with other types of fundraising? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so I think there's, there's some things, right, that you can easily track. For instance, like, um, investing in an SEO strategy, right? You can see, for instance, if people who became donors, where did they first come in? They came in because they found you through Google or Microsoft, right? And they came to your website. They filled out a lead form. That's when they first became a lead. So if you have the right data set up, like, you know, you're looking in HubSpot or something like that, you can see the lead source was SEO, right? You can also see uh, through your ad campaigns that you're running through social or Google or Microsoft as well, that okay, that's where they originally came from, or that's what eventually converted them. That was either the original source of, of them coming in, or that's what like actually got them to convert. Um, you can also then track specific emails. Like there's a lot you can track. Organic social is one of those things that is very hard to track. Let's be real, right? So like um, I would say one, you need to find ways to, to measure success again, based on how many people you're reaching and engaging and um, how many of when I was a social media manager, there was a lot of community management as well that ended up leading to really cool opportunities. I mean, like, you know, whether that was, um, you know, responding to people's tweets back in the day and like that turned into them, like signing petitions and starting peer to peer fundraisers or like <laughs> I used to just like, I worked on this strategy of like, hey, people who are already existing in our in our like ecosystem love us, like connecting with them and then shoot for the stars and like see if you can get like a celebrity. I would just like I would just DM tweet random celebrities and sometimes like maybe it was one in ten, maybe it was one in a hundred, but people would actually like message me back and I have like you know, DMs back from people who later ended up being a huge part of us growing a campaign just because I was like, I don't know, maybe they'll help. And I, they would be like, yeah, shoot me a text and they'd send me their number. Like you've got to think of there are, there are wins that you would similarly account for like your partnership management team. If you can, you know, have that community management part of your social media, then you can also start saying, here are these valuable relationships we added because of this as well. So it's really about figuring out what you want to get out of it. And maybe that's either general brand awareness, which is hard, harder to track. Um, but you can see by seeing how many people you are engaging with your posts or they're seeing them. Then there's also um, like depth of relationship, which I think it comes down to your community management. If you have like a, a Facebook group or a Slack channel or plays that ways that you're engaging with your community further, that's another way that you're measuring the depth of relationship. Uh, and then you know, you can always uh, throw on surveys on the end too of like, hey, what led you to finally make this gift? Or why did you and become a recurring donor or, you know, things like that. And I would I would assume often you'll see things like, oh, we listened to your podcast. We um, saw this video about this campaign or th- things like that, right? And then of course, there's the paid aspect of social that's a really partners well with organic. And that's a much more easily trackable thing for you to say, we ran conversion ads, people converted on it. And them watching that video first was part of that process. So awesome. Okay. Where can people go to find you, to to connect with you, to work with you, send tell <laughs> them the good stuff. 
<laughs> yeah, I love I love LinkedIn. It's a great place to just like get to know people and connect and, and build a great community. So you can find me on there at Cameron Bartlett. Uh, yeah, my website, cambartlett.com has a lot of great resources. There's uh, cambartlett.com slash SEO has like all my best stuff about SEO. There's stuff on social and emails and landing pages and just digital marketing donor journey stuff. And I'm always happy to just grab a, a digital cup of coffee or one in person with people and uh, share share what I know and hope that it helps you. And yeah, I love, I love sharing advice and learning from each other and, and building community around a cup of coffee. I hope today's episode inspired or challenged you to think differently. For additional takeaways, tips, show notes, and more about our amazing guests and sponsors, head on over to MalloryErickson.com backslash podcast. And if you didn't know, hosting this podcast isn't the only thing I do. Every day I coach, guide, and help fundraisers and leaders just like you inside of my program, The Power Partners Formula Collective. Inside the program, I share my methods, tools, and experiences that have helped me fundraise millions of dollars and feel good about myself in the process. To learn more about how I can help you, visit MalloryErickson.com backslash powerpartners. Last but not least, if you enjoyed this episode, I'd love to encourage you to share it with a friend you know would benefit or leave a review. I'm so grateful for all of you and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. I can't wait to see you in the next episode. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to MalloryErickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.